Welcome to Sportsman of Colorado, Colorado's premier outdoor radio show heard every Saturday afternoon on KLZ 560 with insights on hunting, fishing, archery, guns, and ammo from Colorado's top outfitters featuring the industry's leading experts on how to enhance your experience in the great outdoors. Now, here's your host, Scott Watley. Good afternoon and welcome to Sportsman of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to have Kevin Flesh in studio with us as well. Kevin, how are you? I'm fantastic, Scott. Man, it's hard to believe it's August, dude. It is. <laughs> and we've got a really good show of all stuff that's kind of going on with the fishing and big game hunting Absolutely. that's just around the corner. It is. I mean, we are in the throes of it. We are. Absolutely. So, you know what? Let's don't waste a moment. Let's get to our first guest. And we are always glad to have Chad LaChance on with us from Fishful Thinker TV. Chad, how are you, bud? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on. You bet, man. It's always a pleasure. And we got to do this more often. But uh, first of all, let's talk about Fishful Thinker TV and kind of fill us in what you got going on. Well, yeah, we're uh, we're actually in the middle of filming stuff right now. So we've got about a half dozen more shows yet to do that will air in the first quarter of next year. So uh, that's stuff, the stuff that we're actually filming right now. Uh, mostly all Colorado stuff can be a really, really Colorado-centric season coming up. And that has a little bit to do with what's been going on in the world. Uh, but it, we're having a good time with it. We're getting we're really focused on the education of side of it, which is our strength. Instead of you know major destinations, more about teaching people, and uh, and that's really my goal in the first place. So that's uh, what we're really getting back to some of our roots as far as that goes. And and the shows that are airing right now on both Altitude Sports and World Fishing Network, those shows are we're calling it the season of in depth. We're looking at some of the shows we got the most comments about from viewers over the years. You know, the, the shows that were really, really well received or we had a lot of questions about, and we're going deeper into those shows. So, giving you kind of the backstory to it, or maybe what we would do if we were going back there now, and uh, or the condition of the fishery these days, stuff like that. So, we're having a good time with it. You know, like everybody else, we had a slow start, but uh, but we've we're basically booked out for guiding at this point, and uh, yeah, can't complain. And Chad, it's I don't know if you've noticed this, but I think uh, it seems like during the summer and fall, I'm I've been doing a lot of trips in different places, and not being able to do those, you really begin to realize how much re- how many resources we have within the state of Colorado that we really should probably take more advantage of, right? I mean, we just have some of the best fishing here. Uh, if we just spend a little bit more time going back to those places that we know are so good. Well, absolutely. And, uh, and the fish are here and they're here to be had. Yeah. Uh, but to your point, I think a lot of Coloradans have figured that out because, you know, I live right at Horsey's Reservoir. I'm looking at Inlet Bay right now. And, uh, and there's no shortage of people that figured out the fish are here. Uh, I can promise you. And I've spent a fair bit of time driving around and even in some places that were, you know, a little bit more remote places. I'm not used to seeing people. People are out fishing. So yeah. personally, I'm happy to see it. I know there's some folks that are frustrated with the, you know, with the amount of people in the outdoors. But I mean, we've been, you guys, me, and lots of other people have been telling people for years they ought to get outdoors more. And, uh, well, they, they, they took it to heart this time. And, uh, you know, the fishing industry is booming. The local stores are out of tackle for the most part right. because everybody bought everything. The supply chains are, are really weak. So, you know, overall, I, I'm glad to see people outdoors. I'm glad to see that when, when the crap really hits the fan, people went fishing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I've visited some places that I haven't uh, been to in years. Uh, for example, like Hayden Meadows, the upper part of the Arkansas River that I haven't fished that sure, for probably a sure. couple of decades in the middle of July and just hammered fish and yep. big browns. I couldn't believe the amount of decent fish 
that were in that section mm -hmm. of river. And I think it's like that everywhere, that you've, you've got to get off the beaten path a little bit. There's no question that there's a little bit more hiking and some other things that you need to do to get to those sections. But really go back and look at those places. And I'm sure you're seeing that on Horsetooth and the different places that you're guiding. The fish are there, and their fish are still able to be caught. Uh, you just got to kind of figure out, like you said, uh, educate yourself, maybe try some different types of uh, techniques, and, and, uh, and you'll have good days. Well, absolutely, and and you know the other side of that is that um, you know you don't really even have to get away from the people. I you know the thing is here, I can literally be sitting on a waypoint and have boats going by me in every direction, paddleboards all around me, and as long as you don't let it bother you as an angler, yeah. most of the time the fish are still there. I've fished the Colorado River when there's a raft coming through every you know minute and a half. And just waylaying fish literally right around the rafts no, you know, to where they're cheering at you as you come by. So yeah. you, you don't let it bug you if the place is busy mentally. Uh, you know, the, the only thing that concerns me at all with it right now is we've got a lot of rookies on boats and paddle boards. <laughs> and I've seen, seen people not understanding which way directions of travel go, uh, things like that. You yeah. know? And so it's no different than a road. There are rules involved. And uh, we've seen some of that, but for the most part, it's been really good. Did have a major incident horse tooth this morning, which I might throw out to your listeners. Yeah, I saw that. It's going to make the news, but uh, had, we had a boat literally blow up uh, right here in the bay. Literally exploded, uh, sent three people to the hospital. Everybody lived. The boat burned all the way to the water. Wow! And uh, and and the, we don't know exactly, but uh, obviously fuel had to be involved. It was an inboard boat, and uh, and it blew up. But it made major major, you know. Uh, people were asking about it. Yeah. It was smoke, and it was very loud, and a lot of people saw it. So if anyone heard it, the people did survive. Uh, they, one of them was airlifted. Two of them were taken by ambulance, and uh, and nobody else was injured, just the boat itself. Well, that is one thing, just to check all your gear good and, you know, boat, everything, before you even head out every time, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and especially, you know, with boats like inboard boats, and this appeared to be an older boat, uh, you got to make sure that that vent fan is working. There's a reason there's a vent fan for the engine compartment, and uh, and that needs to work. Uh, I had a boat as a kid that, that blew up from that. So I would check that, check your safety gear every time. And one thing I will say is, is I have seen guys out checking. Here the horses where I live, the rangers have been checking a lot, more than I've ever seen them before. I've been checked myself probably four times, I think, this year, full safety checks my boat. And just for the record, I'm all for it. Yep, completely agree with you. And it's certainly the other thing that people have to think about as well, especially if you're on new water, uh, is make sure that you've got some good electronics or at least you know the lake so that uh, if you get into areas that you're not sure of, to make sure that you're not hitting rock bars and other stuff. Um, was, yeah, yeah, because the boat shops are booked out yeah. a long ways right now. Yes, they are. Boats, so That's exactly you right. Uh, you're, you're done probably boating for the season. Yeah. So, uh, you know, keep that in mind, too. And now we're getting water levels falling, and, and that also bugs anglers at times. But I'm here to say, no, 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 it does not. I'd rather see the lake low as far as fishing. As far as if I just want to go catch a bunch of fish, yep. I'd typically rather see the lake low than high. And uh, and with the water dropping like it is all over the state at this point, then you know where fish are going to be within reason. And uh, even if you've never been there, you can put some day one dropping water principles on it and, and catch some fish. So that's the other thing that sometimes bothers anglers, you know. But I'm all for it. I, I you know, obviously it's nice when the lakes are full and they're beautiful and all that. But uh, but these are water, you know, uh, storage lakes first and foremost. And uh, and 
the fishing, same thing with the crowds. It doesn't bother the fish one iota when the crowds show up and the lake drops. Yeah, completely agree with you. Well, with the, the lakes that you guide, let's talk about sort of the, the three primary lakes that you guide on and what's going on with those lakes in regards to fishing outside of the pressure. But what, what is working for you guys? Oh, geez. Uh, depends on your species, you know. I mean, here at Horsetooth, uh, the smallmouth bass dominate the catching right now in, in the daylight. Uh, that's no shocker. And those are going to be, at this point, either suspended over deeper water or on, you know, structural elements that are in and around deep water. So it's a very electronics intensive deal uh, if you want to be consistent during the day. Now, early morning, late evening, you can get a decent topwater bite. Um, you know, but if you want to really fish in and amongst the, the boating traffic and everything, you're going to have to sit out on a waypoint or sit on a major ridge, something like that, and yep. get your drop shot out or your, you know, your your drag bait, a little birthday power tube or a gold minnow or something like that, and drag it around. You'll stumble into some walleyes doing that as well. Uh, there's a few trout being caught. And then the walleye bite's been an evening thing. Um, some guys I know are catching. We don't guide at night, yeah. and so I, we don't fish a ton at night, but I do know guys that do, and their guys are catching them both trolling and, you know, more conventional casting stuff. So I think there it more depends on running into the fish. But as always, there's a lot of bait here. If you do catch the walleyes, they're big. They're, there's not – I mean, there's hardly any fish under 20 inches, which is why they're hard to catch. Hmm. So it's not like Cherry Creek where you can just go smash a bunch of 15 inches yeah. without any problem. Uh, here it's the other way around. Like you're not going to catch very many fish, but if you catch them, they'll be good. Well, that's cool. So that's good. Yeah, Carter Lake. Um, Carter Lake got really high. It's uh, it's also doing its thing now as far as the normal late summer deal. Um, Wild bite's been tough for us all year. To be candid, it's uh, it's been hit or miss, and we've we've um, you know. It, Jigging's been hit or miss. Trolling's been hit or miss. The walleye bite there is just really weird. And for, for people that aren't familiar with Carter Lake, it's it's a very strange lake, and it, it fills from the bottom for starters. So it doesn't it doesn't stratify and do things that normal reservoirs do. Uh, it has no primary bait species in it. There's all different stuff in there, and not very much of any of it. So it's hard to really key on bait. And those fish are, you know, they're not the, the walleyes of old that were in Carter Lake back when there was coconut there by the ton. You yeah, know, these fish are way way different than they were back then they're catchable but they're not easy you'll work for those uh, a few large mouth and lots of trout uh, showing up at carter and trout are better early and late and then boyd lake's the whole mixed bag i mean literally the whole mixed bag it's dropping quickly at this point um we've done decent with large mouth we've done decent with small mouth we've done decent with white bass uh done you know across the board in my mind Boyd Lakes, once it starts dropping like this, all about the weeds. you got to find the right weeds. What kind of weeds are you looking for? And it changes. I mean, I'd love to give your listeners a, you know, look for this weed. But it changes uh, as the water level changes and which weeds are green and which ones aren't. And uh, you either need to focus on the weeds or the offshore, you know, the subtle offshore structure that's there, which there is not a tremendous amount of, none of its secret spots. And is Boyd uh, something that you're looking for bait fish? Or something in the weeds, or those those structure points for to I, have the fish I'm there. I'm typically be, because of the depth of Boyd not being very deep in yeah. most places. The only time I look for actually looking for bait, at least in terms of on my Lawrence units, is in in a couple of areas of the lake that are the deepest parts. Because you're looking at a you know you're looking at a six foot wide cone, right? So the yeah. bait literally has to swim right directly under your boat in in 15 feet of water, and it's just not going to happen. Sure. 
So I will look for evidence of debate, though, uh, as far as either on the side scanners or the birds or the white bass or, you know, something that's going to give me some indication from there as an angler, you know, do some of that steely-eyed woodsmanship and just Mm -hmm. follow the universe and look around, you know, what's going on. And you can a lot of times discern stuff from that way. Uh, Or I'll go where the wind's blowing on or down a bank, and, uh, and you know that'll get some bait fish in there feeding. And that'll draw them in. But it's only when they're on the deepest parts of the lake do I really trust that I can sit right on top of schools of bait at Boyd Lake yeah. and, uh, and and catch fish. And uh, having said that, there's so many different species in that lake, and it is such a fertile fishery that you, you, you could find all kinds of fish. You never know. I've pulled nets there in Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and it can be absolutely amazing. So whenever somebody comes to me and says, well, geez, I didn't catch anything at Boyd, I'm like, don't blame the lake. Yeah. They're in there. It's, uh, you know, I know they're in there. I've yeah. seen some ridiculous nets pulled out of there with Parks and Wildlife that are just, I mean, jaw droppers, you know. My camera guy, Tim Farnsworth, one of my best friends, he was filming one day with us there. We went and filmed him pulling the nets, and he fished there for four days straight after that. He was so addicted <laughs> to what he saw in the nets. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. Chad LaChance is with us, Fishful Thinker TV. we got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll visit with Chad a little bit more about some fishing, and we'll also get into some big game hunting. If you've got any questions for Chad, give us a call, 303-477-5600. We'll be right back. If you're like me, you've probably had a little extra time to go through your camping, hunting, and fishing gear. Hi, this is Scott Watley with Sportsman of Colorado. And you know what? When you're looking through your gear, you've probably discovered you've got some gear you just don't use anymore. Well, now you can turn it into cash at the Outdoorsman's Attic. The Outdoorsman's Attic is Colorado's very own outdoor gear consignment store. From live bait to lanterns, backpacks to Sitka gear. Chances are, if it's used in the outdoors, it's at the Outdoorsman's Attic. There are tons of bargains, and now they have a full-service gunsmith on-site in the lower level. Stop paying retail. Turn your used gear into cash. Family-owned and operated, the Outdoorsman's Attic is located at 2650 West Hamden in Sheridan. Friendly service and great deals at the Outdoorsman's Attic. Tell them Scott sent you. Here's why you need KLZ's personal injury attorney, Kevin Flesh, on your side. He understands how the jury thinks. In the context of a personal injury case where you have been hurt by someone else's negligence, the idea with that is that you're then going to try to recover to get back to where you were just prior to that incident occurring. And what that really means from a juror's perspective is that you're going to be asking them to award you money. So when we talk about fairness, we're talking about what six people that don't know you, that hear evidence and have to make a unanimous decision will decide as to what fair value is. And so you and I, when we get hurt, have definitely an idea of what we think it's worth to us. But the question is, what can you articulate to those other individuals who don't know you and are not involved in this process to get them persuaded about what it is that they think the case is worth? Call now for a free consultation, 303-806-8886. Flesh and Beck Law, they get results. Lone Tree Veterinary Medical Center would like to announce their new Canine Academy is open. Hi, this is Scott Watley for my friends at Lone Tree Veterinary Medical Center. The Canine Academy is offering all new classes and several exciting additions, including the new sport classes, scent work, and tray ball that dogs love. Their pet behavior specialist has over 20 years of experience working with animals large and small, including dogs and cats and zoo animals and exotics. He's available Tuesday through Saturday to help you with all of your pet training needs. Visit LoneTreeVet.com and check out the Canine Academy page for the summer class schedule 
or just give them a call at 303-708-8050 and get your pet started in the training that's best for you and your pet. Rush to Reason with John Rush, weekdays from 3 to 7 on KLZ 560. Welcome back to Sportsman of Colorado. If you're just joining us, my name is Scott Wiley alongside Kevin Flesh. Chad LaChance is our guest, Fishful Thinker TV. Follow him on Facebook, and uh, Chad does some great work, always produces just great video, and uh, you will learn a lot about fishing, that's for sure. So, Chad, what's some of the um, newest, latest, greatest gear out there that um, you're finding? <laughs> well, ICAST just came and went, and uh, ICAST is the International Conference of Allied Sport Fishing Trades. If people aren't familiar, it's where all the new stuff comes to the market for the year. Right. Now, because of the situation, uh, obviously, we didn't, uh, they didn't have an, in, an in-person deal, but we've been reviewing stuff, uh, a lot of the stuff that came through ICAST. And one of the things people don't realize is I'm a product tester for Berkeley. So a lot of the stuff that they introduced at ICAST, I've been testing for a year in advance. So I already know what, what some of the you know the features of those things are and, uh, and stuff like that. And one of them I'm actually uh, you know pretty happy about is the new popper that Berkeley's coming out with or has come out with. It's, a, it's basically a soft-bodied popper like a frog. You put your own EWG hook in, and um, and it, you can throw it anywhere. It's like throwing a frog, but it's also like throwing a popper. So you can throw it for smallmouth and stuff like that. I think it's going to be neat. It's a hybrid lure. It's it's a lot different than either one of the other ones, but it functions very well as either one of them. So I think that's going to be a really good one that people will like. And ironically, one of the things that I, I think people, and you should take this to heart, Kevin, is poppers are fantastic for trout. I was just going to ask you (laughs) how many trout you've caught with it. Yeah. That's the thing. People don't think of trout for poppers, but a popper in a river right now will get motored. Yeah. The problem is some of the rivers have a lodia grass or something in them. Yeah. And, uh, and this will come right over the top. Right. It's also just a single hook. So for people that don't want a treble hook, uh, you know, it's got a single hook, yeah. so that's another possibility. You know, for people in the in the river. But and, uh, and are they unscented? I, are they are they able? Uh, yeah, they're they're legal. Yeah, it's cool. just a soft body like any. Uh, yeah, okay. they'd be perfectly legal. So it's yeah. 100% artificial lure, and um, and it's yeah, I think that'll be a neat little deal. And then the other one's a little hit stick. The hit stick I've been fishing a long time, and they I haven't been able to tell anyone, haven't been able to talk to anybody about it. But everything from from tunas down, I've eaten that thing. And uh, it's we took it up to Laramie River, no problem. Just browns one after the other. Uh, available in sizes from three to fifteen. And basically, long story short, it's got the motion and thing, uh, the, the basically buoyancy and motion of a balsa bait, like a typical floating minnow. People like a floating rapala. Uh, only it's four dollars cheaper, made out of plastic, way more durable, and every one of them runs the same. And that's a key thing. That bait I have put through the ringers, and uh, and I promise you it's probably the most underrated bait that came out. If you guys will just throw it out and line it or troll it, they'll catch tons of fish with it. That's cool. So, so it's, it's Those a, are two I'm excited about. Yeah, a real good search bait, um, I'm assuming, for all Correct. sorts of Correct. You can troll it. Like yep. we were asked about walleyes up here. You can put, you can 
control it up here, no problem. Uh, you'd basically use it anywhere you would use a floating rappler. So you might yep. put it behind a, a downrigger ball. You might, you know, all different things. Uh, they do slowly float. They float back up, obviously, like a, like a balsa bait. Yep. It's all about the roll. But the thing for me is they've been extremely consistent, and they're very affordable. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's. I'm not saying it's a better mousetrap, but it's a, certainly a better value. And uh, and it has caught fish. I fished them back and forth. And uh, it is a fantastic bait. And cool. I think that will be one that people will – we have lots of implications in Colorado, uh, you know, from all of them across the board. So, and, you know, me, my thing with it, I don't like to talk about fishing tackle unless I've been fishing with it personally. Yeah. Like, I don't right. want to just look at it and be like, okay, yeah, that looks like it'll work good. No, I need, to, I need to go throw that thing around for a while, you know. Any one lure or line or rod can perform well on any one day, you know. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not one of those guys that I went out and caught 20 fish on. It's my new favorite. You know, I'm not doing that. Sure. If I catch 20 fish 20 times, now we're talking. But, uh, but yeah, that's my thing. And those two baits I know people will, will find value in and uh, will catch some fish. But, you know, truthfully, I'm starting to get, at this point, thinking about big game. And, uh, and I'm, you know, we've wound through most of the tackle. Or, you know, we're, we're booked out for summer for guiding, and I'm starting to think about big game hunting. Man, right I'm telling you. <laughs> no, ready to get in the, the woods and get out of this. <laughs> yeah, for I'm sure. like, all right, let's do it. I'm going out east this weekend to stretch the legs on the rifle for some real-world practice, which I'm a big fan of. I am not a fan of sitting on a bench and punching paper. Yeah. Once your gun's zeroed in, that's not very really good practice. So uh, I've been dry firing a a ton, you know, doing dry firing drills on uh, on just objects out there. Obviously, with a with no no chambered ground, just dry firing, which is fine with my browning, and uh, getting my trigger feel down. And I'll take it out east this week and uh, and lob some rounds for real. You know, make sure my turret's working and all that, and uh, and do some real world shooting and uh, going mountain goat hunting next month. So time to time to get going i'm actually just slapping meat on this one i'm in charge of enthusiasm but my closest buddy's gone and i'm looking forward to hiking around the gore range so absolutely so chad what do you think about the draw you know this year they did the secondary draw instead of uh now of course before when you went into the initial draw you could uh right. check to be put in the, the the leftover draw and then the leftovers actually came out just the other day but um what's your just opinion on our draw system and how could it be better well, I wish I knew how to improve it. You know, I saw in the Sportsman's Roundtable. If I knew how to improve it, I'd be, I'd for sure have let them know a long time ago. The only, the, the real hang-up that I have, and if I want to call it a hang-up, is I know people that didn't draw tags for certain units on their first choice, and then those tags showed up on the secondary leftover list. Right. And what people need to know is that those tags were drawn. They just weren't paid for. Mm-hmm. So when they're not paid for so the lottery goes through they award all the tags your credit card you change credit card your number got stolen you didn't pay your bill whatever <laughs> your credit card you put on file when you when you applied for that job does not run successfully and therefore those tags then go back in the system but by the time that happened it was past the secondary draw so they're in the third right they're in the third round of tags at that point of tags that people didn't draw and now they're on the leftover list so my thought process is to go back to the system of managing where you had to pay for your tag ahead of time, and then that would go away, and then the whole process would be a lot cleaner because there's going to be guys with no preference points that get tags that guys with six preference points didn't draw. Sure, and we had so many more you know, tags that got applied for because people don't right. have to pay. Correct, yeah. and I would love to see them go back to the old system of pay for your and, and the reasoning is the management of all of that money. Uh, 
is is the key. When they're when you're holding all of that money, then from everybody, then there's a bunch of accounting and everything that has to go into it, plus the, the cost of refunding all the money. Right. So you know the theory was if we go this route, we'll save a fortune. And uh, and I I'm not sure that they'll stick with it. I'd personally like to see it go back the other way, even if the application fee. Uh, I'm fine with an application fee. I get it. There's a pay-to-play thing. I've seen how the system works. There's a lot of people and a lot of effort that goes into it. If that fee was reasonable, I would have no problem with that. If they, if they go back to the old system to where uh, less applicants for one and then the point system actually works like it's supposed to each time because uh, it just goes right down through the points, you know? Right. Hey, man, I got to see um – I think I sent you a text, but I got to actually watch. I was just flipping through and uh, watch your bear hunt um, yeah. recently. Yeah. And, man, I'm telling you, that was so cool. You know, that was one of those deals that uh, once-in-a-lifetime thing, and it was an incredible experience. And I I highly recommend to people that if there's any an opportunity to stretch your legs, get out of your comfort zone, go do something really crazy, stretch and do it because – you know, you're only going to live once, right? And uh, and an adventure like that is something that I'll never forget. And I will say this too: uh, having a having a ten foot long bearskin rug in the basement, uh, <laughs> you know, but people walk in like, holy crap, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's a big, giant, big, giant, uh, extremely soft and incredible thing to have. And it's not about the rug, and it's not about the skull. Those bears are are, are full research. They, you have to show them to a biologist, and the biologist comes and does samples, and the whole nine yards, they, they shoot a prescribed number of bears. And the, the interesting that people aren't aware of is on Kodiak Island, the population of Kodiak bears is higher than it ever has historically been, and is still growing. And here's another weird fact, if we've got a quick second. Sure. The Kodiak bears, they, when they first started keeping records, had one or two cubs. Now they have two or three cubs, and they're getting larger and larger and larger in average size. <laughs> and they're the only animal that can go in underground for seven months out of the year, not urinate or defecate, not eat, and come out. This, it lose 450 pounds of body weight and no muscle mass. And so the scientists think the key to longevity in humans may be in the Kodiak bear, which has been isolated for 12,000 years on just Kodiak and Afognak Island. So yeah. there's a lot of research behind it, and that's why there's a, a limited draw between that and the management of the of the people, uh, or excuse me, of the population. So it's a, it's a really neat deal. It was incredible. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, if anyone gets a chance to ever go to Kodiak Island, they should do it. I was just going to ask you, having gone through it, even more respect for the animal now after being there? Oh, by far. <laughs> uh, and the people, yeah. uh, the, 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 the terrain, the, the, every, every aspect of it. And the, the thing about it is where I was hunting was on the Indian reservation and I won this through the pro membership sweepstakes. I want people to realize this was a, like a $45,000 deal by the time it was all said and done, at least 40 grand. And I won it through the pro membership sweepstakes. And so it was, you know, that's how I, as a starving fisherman, could afford to go to Kodiak <laughs> Island. And I'm not, I'm not an attorney, Kevin, so I had to win <laughs> but, uh, but either way, um, yeah, I would go. It's just incredible. I would go there. It's worth it. The, the, the scenery, the people, the, the terrain, the bears. The bears were way more intelligent than I realized they were going to yeah. be. You picture them as big lumbering beasts. and uh, They're not. You know, they're. No, and they're extremely fast. You look at it and you go, okay, well, that's a 1,200-pound bear. I mean, this it's literally twice as big as a, as a grizzly bear in Yellowstone. Yeah. And 
and and you, we're watching this fox, and it's trying to to taunt this bear, trying to get this this salmon away from him. And that bear, in one swipe, knocked that fox like thirty feet <laughs> in the air. Literally, first of all, you know how nimble a fox is. Yeah. And the bear was fast enough to hit him, and then knocked him the next week. And that fox never even moved again. And three of us sat there and watched it. Like it killed that fox instantly. And and literally. All three of us sat there, and the guy just turned to me. He's like, I told you they're faster than they look. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh, dude, what did I just witness? You know? Wow. So, yeah, they're, they're incredible animals. They eat 30, 30 to 35 pounds of salmon a day. We were, uh, we, I did a trip on the main part of Alaska a few years ago, and the, the folks that we were with have a camp. They do a steelhead camp on Kodiak Island. And the, the place that we went, we saw, I saw nine grizzly bears during the week that we were fishing. We were fishing primarily for rainbows. But, um, and they, were, they said, oh, they're fish bears, and they didn't carry guns with them the whole time we were there. And um, <laughs> so that was cool, a really cool interactions with grizzly bears, never really been involved. But you didn't fear them that much. I only had one instance where I was concerned about our safety. But they talked about those Kodiak bears, and they all carry shotguns. And they said, those bears know when you've got a gun. They've had bears oh, yeah. that got close to camp that, you know, they, they had to shoot at a bear one day, and that bear came back the second day. As soon as they loaded around, that bear knew that it was serious, and he took off. But otherwise, he was going to test it. Wow. And it's just, uh, they're, they're smart animals. They're not something to oh, be they, messed Oh, they with. are. And just for the record, everybody in our camp, there was five people in our camp besides the hunters, and they all carried yep. uh, <laughs> guarantee, 500 yeah. Smith & Wesson yeah. Max across their chest. Yep. On the outside of their jacket, across their chest, a little four-inch barreled 500 Smith & Wesson mag. Now, that thing's got a kick like I can't even imagine. It's got a little muzzle brake on it, but it's a 500 mag with a four-inch barrel. But they're made to shoot point-blank range. If yep. the bear gets on top of you at point-blank range, it'll shoot five times no matter what happens, and it's going to hit hard. And the guy that owns the outfit is actually an Iowa Indian. They're on the island. And um, he's that's the only people that can run hunts there, actually, is around the, on that end of the island anyway. And uh, he had had to shoot two bears, both of which had been previously shot. And when they were trying to recover them, they caused problems. And uh, and he said it stops them, that 500 mag. So <laughs> hey. uh, I thought so. And my guide carried a 338, and I carried a 375 Browning, a 375 H&H mag. And ended up harvesting my bear from a long range, actually from 360 yards, wow. which is a long ways with a 375. That's a long shot. But I, it is, and um, and people say, "Oh, that's crazy, that's crazy." But I want to point out, I hit it three times in 19 seconds from the time I fired the first shot to the time it stopped moving. So um, it's because I practiced a lot, you know, and uh, and that's another thing. You don't you don't go to a place like that without being very familiar with your weapon. I bought that gun just for that hunt. And I bought the exact same model of gun that I already shoot, just in a bigger caliber. So the safety was the same, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. I had an extra magazine with me. I could just jam at the bottom if I had to, if it really got crazy. And that magazine was literally my bino pack right on the front of my chest. And um, just in case it got rowdy. But I had close encounters with bears. Uh, I almost got a shot at a really big boar at, like, 15 yards and yeah real close like point blank range and heavy cover to where you know there's four dudes and everybody's like nobody moving i'm the only one with my gun out i'm like this feels like pressure (laughs) (laughs) that's why i always hunt with guys slower than me (laughs) (laughs) right exactly the the videographer the video that hunt is a world-class big game hunter he's literally traveled the world he runs an outfitting business he owns sportsman's news magazine and um 
and he at one point we had a salad 18 yards with three cubs and she was mad that we were there and she was popping her teeth and she she knew we were there and she was debating what to do she she covered 100 yards to 18 yards in no time flat and the camera guy after it was over she finally decided to thought better of it the guy and i were both standing there with our guns up she finally decided to leave and she did the camera guy right away was like i sure wish i had my gun instead of my camera because <laughs> he's one of the best shooters in the united states <laughs> yeah um, well, Chad, hey, man, we appreciate your time. Let's do this again, and as we go through the hunting season, we'll uh, do some checking in back with you and kind of get some updates on you on big game season as well. Well, I would love to anytime, Scott, and I really appreciate it. Now, you guys have a great afternoon. All Thanks, right, Chad. you as well. That's Chad LaChance, Fishful Thinker TV. Charlie, I tell you what, we're going to skip this break. I'm just going to switch over to our good friend Will Marquette from Davis Tent. want to get all the time we can with Will. So, Will, how are you, sir? Hey, Scott, I'm awesome. How are you? I'm doing well, and I got Kevin Flesh in studio with me as well. And, uh, man, talking about bear hunting, that sounds fun. Oh, I tell you that what. That was thrilling. <laughs> <That's>... Holy cow. <laughs> I... So what I wanted to ask him is, so, okay, you put three shots in the bear and you see that it's not moving, but you still got to get that 360 yards to him. Yeah. <laughs> and and I've seen shows. I mean, I've seen what it looks like in the thick brush. Sure. And let's say it's a 1,000-pound animal. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> That your heart rate in that walk has oh, to be yeah. crazy. No, it is. I mean, even Africa when I'm oh, hunting, right, that's true. Even yeah. animals. I mean, that you know, you don't just, know what you're going to run into. Yeah, and I mean, most of the time you walk up and you know what, put another round in them, even when you get yep. within close, just to make sure. That's exactly right. <laughs> Will you done any I bear hunting? Wait. You know, I haven't. I'd love to. Uh, my brother harvested one a couple of years ago with his bow, which is super cool. Oh, oh man, cool. yeah. Uh, so mostly I've lived vicariously through his uh, hunting prowess and experience as far as bear hunting goes. Yeah. Sure. Well, as I mentioned, this is Will Marquette, uh, owner of Davis Tent. So, Will, what's happening in your tent business? I'm sure you guys are slammed. Oh, it's wild. I mean, hunters are jazzed. Right. I mean, I, not get, that they're not every year, but this is wild. This is, You know, this year what's nice about getting outdoors is you get away from all of the stuff that's going on in the press and and the population, right? And you get out where the animals are acting like animals act, and you're getting away from people and all the hysteria. And, and people that are acting like animals. <laughs> <laughs> so I would imagine people are looking to, to get set up and get set up well. And and uh, talk to us about what's the newest, greatest thing and what you're seeing people people do and getting ready and outfitted for the hunting season. Well, you know, we're as far as what's new and different, I mean, we're doing – we're we're rolling out some new products, which are really cool for the industry, like a, a mini wall tent that, you know, it's only got a six, eight peak. It's only got three foot sidewalls, but it's really a neat experience with a couple of people. Cause you can get two cots and a stove in there or not a stove. They're super easy to heat. You can heat them with practically a propane lantern if you want to. Uh, but you know, easy to move, especially when you got these archery hunters uh, coming up now that are going to, you know, this, uh, especially the younger set of archery hunters are a lot more mobile. And even if they're doing more of a base camp experience, they want the ability to move from one place to the next. Yeah. Man, if you can take your wall tent down in 15 minutes and be on a, and be on the road, I, that's really been a, we haven't even really rolled out the product yet. We don't have it on our website. We had a, a guy that we were working with kind of as an influencer and he wasn't supposed to roll out the product and he did. Really? And so, yeah, so we sold 20 of them in like 20 days. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> because it's wild. I mean, 
people just intuitively understand the resourcefulness and the utility of having still having a wall tent kind right. of, you know, experience and all the things that go with that, but having something that's, you know, small and easy to deal with spike camps. I mean, it's replacing uh, herder tents in the back country. Yeah. So, so, uh, so you could yeah, use really, really. you could use like a like a little Mister Buddy heater or something like that to heat the thing rather than a a big stove too, I suppose, right? Totally, totally. You know, it's just a ten by ten footprint with yeah. a lower ceiling than normal, so you're not losing all that heat up top. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that's gonna when we do finally roll this out, probably in January. I mean, I would you know very honestly expect that we'll sell hundreds of them in 2021. Good for you. Pretty neat. Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, when you when you first sit down with, with people and they're just trying to figure things out, um, I mean, how do you go about in just that interview process to make sure they get the all the things that they really need and the size of tent? Yeah, great question. And I, I the first thing is to you know really understand how they're going to use it, what their hunting camp looks like, how does it vary from one year to the next. Uh, you know, if you kind of get an idea of, you know, what, what guys need and mm-hmm. what kind of hunting they're going to do, it starts to instruct you pretty quickly on what's probably going to work the best. And it's funny. I mean, you get guys that, you know, they're comfortable in take quarters and they're going to jam five guys into a 12 by 14. <laughs> and you get, and, and seriously, yeah, you get no, guys I get that are like, yeah. And you get guys, well, what, what size should I have for five or six guys? Probably a 16 by 20. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because I've never heard anybody go, I wish I hadn't got such a big one. Right. Most of them. (laughs) No. Most of them are like, geez, after I put a few things in here. Right. Yeah. And guys moving around and trying to get all your stuff in one place like you were talking about. Yeah. Well, that's the big thing, you know, because in a wall tent, you're normally on a cot. And so you have to have enough room to walk between those cots so you can store gear underneath. Yep. Because if you lose that room, you've lost all your room for anything because your gear is going to be outside your cot footprint and then it's really tough to have any kind of organization going on, you know. And we'll, it's hard to find that rangefinder in the morning. Yeah, no right. doubt. <laughs> no doubt. And what's cool about it, I mean, it's kind of a one-stop shop with you. I mean, because, I mean, really a person can get truly everything they need right there with you, right? Oh yeah. I mean, we're, we do hunting camp packages, you know, for all sizes of groups and there's a discount for guys that do it. And so, you know, whether they're coming in and they've got, they want to solo hunt or they've got eight guys, or maybe they got, they used to have four and now they have six and somehow they need to expand that tent. We make a super cool cook shack products that it used to be back in the day that cook shacks were something that hooked onto a tent and had three sides to it. The fourth side was an open side that hooked to the tent. Well, we pioneered a four-sided cook shack, which you still can use it just like that by not spiking down the back of the tent or the front of the other one. But if you're two guys one year, then you just hunt in your cook shack. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a standalone product that allows your you know flexibility as far as what you're setting up and how many hunters you're running. Yeah, d- additional capacity when you need it or just the opposite when you don't? Exactly, yep. So, Will, are you guys cool. open now where folks can um, come in and see you? Oh, dang, yeah. You know what we did today, Scott? We did our last repair day of the year, which is a hallelujah day on the Davis Ted calendar. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 yeah. So I'm standing, I'm just standing now looking at all these beautiful elk and mule deer mounts dreaming about my own hunt. Man, I know. Uh, 
So you're getting ready for archery, right? You're getting ready for archery? Yeah. Dang right, I am. I I can't wait. <laughs> Good deal. Are you hunting here in the state, yeah. or are you heading somewhere else? You know, I've done a lot of hunting between Meeker and Craig. Uh, okay. And I'm going to head out head out that way. I've got a friend of mine coming into town. We're going to hunt. We're going to archery hunt together. I've got a just a shout out to an outfitter friend of mine, uh, Jeff at Western Outdoor Adventures. He's uh, made a couple of little pieces of property available in addition to what I usually hunt. So I appreciate that. And yeah, we're going to go out for a week and, uh, heck, I don't know. I'm sure I'm going to come back tired. Well, good deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, good deal, bud. Well, listen, Hey, uh, I'm sorry. Our last segment ran a little bit long, but we will get you back on here real soon. I just wanted to get you on here a little bit and, uh, let folks know, boy, if you're looking for a good tent, get a hold of Will now. Again, it's davistent.com, and uh, get by there. Let them know you heard about them here on Sportsman of Colorado, and they'll take great care of you, great people, and uh, great partners here with us on Sportsman of Colorado. So, Will, we appreciate it very much, sir, and good luck to you, and we'll be in touch. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Thanks, Kevin. Take care, guys. Thanks, Will. All right. That's Will Marquette, Davis Tent. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody, Jack Corgan. There's no better time than now to visit my friends at Len Lyle Chevrolet. They're open, following all proper safety precautions, and ready to offer terrific deals. Suburbans for over 10000 less, better than 7000 off a brand-new Equinox. And Len Lyle Chevy has 0% financing on almost every model. Plus, they need trade-ins badly, so they're willing to pay over book value. Len Lyle Chevrolet, it's time for you to go east and pay the least. And did I mention they need your trade-in? This is Scott Watley for my friends at Phoenix Weaponry. Phoenix Weaponry is proud to announce their new 10,000 square foot facility is now open in Berthard, Colorado, located at 504 North 2nd Street. With this expansion, Phoenix Weaponry offers a new retail area and expanded gunsmithing in Duracote and Cerakote areas. Family owned and operated, Phoenix Weaponry offers the finest in competition, hunting, and long range precision firearms. Also, suppressors from 22 long rifle to 50 caliber for rifles, pistols, and shotguns. Phoenix Weaponry also offers gunsmithing services and restoration repairs from antique to modern firearms. Building your firearm dreams into reality. That's Phoenix Weaponry. Call them now, 720-340-2496, or visit them at phoenixweaponry.com. Rush to Reason with John Rush, weekdays from 3 to 7 on KLZ 560. Welcome back to Sportsman of Colorado. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Just a reminder now, if you miss our live show on Saturdays, which airs from 1 to 2 p.m., you can catch us on Sundays, and we will play an encore of that show. That will be from 8 to 9 a.m. on Sundays and then also 7 to 8 p.m. on Sunday evening. So hopefully one of those three times uh, will be convenient for you. We're going to go to the phones now, talk to a, a great friend of ours, Lisa, with Wild Skies. So, Lisa, how are you? We're good. Thanks so much for having us on the show today. Hey, it's always good to talk with you. And uh, I tell you, when I was looking back through some old emails, uh, man, right when I first started the show back in uh, 2012 and 13, I mean, 13, I think it was, uh, you know, we met kind of and have been uh, talking ever since then. So it's been great. So tell us a little bit about, um, man, the big game season is upon us. And, uh, you know, leftover tags uh, just came out a couple of days ago and the all the draw stuff's over with, and you've got some great opportunities for some elk hunters. So I wanted to get you on today. So tell us about it. 
Absolutely. So for anyone who maybe had their international hunt canceled or they applied for the draw either in Colorado or another state and didn't get the draw, we have Game Management Unit 12 and we're bordering 231 out in northwest Colorado. That's where our secluded flat-top cabin is. It's a four-bedroom, three-and-a-half bath. Go right out the door to hunt with half a mile of private river frontage that lures in the herds. Uh, we've got that available during a few different seasons. And the benefit of our unit and our location is that for archery season, we're just a couple miles away from an over-the-counter archery unit. And those over-the-counter archery licenses are also good on our private property. So you can hunt our private property with your over-the-counter tag and just drive a few miles or take a horse and ride a few miles into the over-the-counter unit where you can hunt. And our cabin is located in the heart of the largest elk herd in the world at 40,000 elk. I currently have spots available to join two other hunters during the first week of archery, which would be the 1st through the 8th of September. also have the fourth week of archery wide open. We had some hunters that had this reserved years in advance, and unbeknownst to me, they had elective surgery. Um, one guy was having his hip replaced, and it was canceled due to COVID this spring. Oh, wow. So he wasn't going to be able to take his hunt, so we postponed him till next year. And so I have all of Rifle 4 available because his group elected to wait till he could join the group next year to take their hunt. So uh, we have spots for potentially up to 10 hunters, but if you have five hunters, you get the whole place to yourself. And if you're just a solo hunter or a father-son type of hunting party, uh, we're happy to have you. We'll just mix you in with another group to try and get to as close to five as we possibly can. All right. And you can reach Lisa directly at 970-926-0216. Again, 970-926-0216. And uh, check out that website, flattopshunting.com. That's the best website, correct? Correct. Okay. And for those who may not be aware of it, you can actually get an archery license, which would be an either-sex elk archery license, and that's considered an A-tag. And you can actually come back, if you want, for one of our available rifle spots. For example, we have the second half of Rifle 2, which would be October 28th through November 2nd, and purchase a leftover cow elk tag, and you can actually hunt two different seasons if you wanted. Or if you're a rifle hunter and not an archery hunter, we've got some spots available with one of my lost returning customers. He's got a group of three that are going to be there during the first week of, of rifle season, and that first week would open on the 10th of October and go through the 15th. And he is happy to help out any hunters that want to be there with him, and I've got up to five spots available to join him. Okay, great. Once again, check out the website, um, flattopshunting.com, and the number 970-926-0216. And, uh, again, this is right around the corner, but normally, too, if, if people want to maybe talk to you about even the years uh, upcoming, uh, you even allow for them to come out during the summer and uh, do some scouting as well. Yeah, our, our cabin is available for rental during the summer. Additionally... We also have our cabin available in the winter for snowmobiling. And if you are a snowmobiler, the best way to cover the most terrain to get familiar with our area is definitely in the winter. The elk aren't there, but you can at least understand the flow of the rivers and the valleys and the ravines. And um, for those that are interested in that rifle one hunt, there are bull elk licenses left over and still for sale. 
Okay, yeah, I did look on that last night and saw there was a, you know, quite a few there left. Now, something else that I think is pretty unique that you do, for those that book a hunt with you, you also have some custom maps that you sell um, that lets them know about harvest sites and a little bit more about the elk data uh, there on the property, right? Correct. We do have customized maps that we sell. We get them from Hunt Data, who supplies their maps to Cabela's and Bass Pro. They customize the maps for our specific cabin location. They put the elk overlays on them. And what the elk overlays are is the big game biologists have budgets to collar elk and track their whereabouts via satellite. And when they get those pings on a daily basis of where those elk are, that's all public information on the Colorado Division of Life site. However, the problem is it's very hard to, re- to really understand and read. And so this gentleman who sells the hunt data maps, he actually interprets that data, puts it over on the maps, customizes it for our particular area. You know the reproduction areas, which are for archery season. You also know the areas for where the elk are going to be um, migrating. So if you're there during one of the later seasons where the elk might be migrating, you know the route corridors for that. You know the winter and summer concentration areas. It's all on the map. And then we actually handwrite harvest sites from where hunters have harvested elk and deer in our area. And we superimpose all that on a seven and a half minute topo map that we sell. Wow. No, uh, Lisa and uh, Thompson and uh, Donnell Johnson and uh, Donnell's husband that own that hunt data are good friends of ours, have been on our show a number of times. As a matter of fact, they host the show sometimes when I'm out hunting, so very familiar with them. And like you say, they do a tremendous, tremendous job. Now, uh, let's talk about meals there because uh, uh, it is available uh, for people to uh, actually hire a local shelf or they can do it on their own. So take a minute and tell us about that. We actually put you in touch with the chefs that we recommend that you use. You work out the details of whether you want them there cooking, cleaning, serving cocktails and appetizers, or whether you just want them to cater a meal, put it in the fridge, and when you come back, you heat it up and eat it on your own at your own leisure. So depending on the level of service you want, the price varies. I just put you in touch with the chef. You work out the details with the chef, and we're all taken care of. So there's no extra commission or cost to do that you work directly with the chef and work out the pricing and that's what you get all right great and then another service uh for those that maybe need some help packing an animal out um there is a local outfitter there that uh is available uh again work out your own deal but they've got horses available or you know uh just take care of them and they'll come get your animal for you and pack it out Yep, for a fee, they will pack out your animal, provided they're not too busy with their own customers packing out elk. Uh, they will take care of you. They'd love to make the extra money doing that. We also have, uh, and none of them are permitted to guide right around the cabin. So there are no permitted guides right around our cabin. Okay. You can pack out from there. But there is a day guide down the road that we refer people to if you really do feel like you need a guide. Um, if you draw for Unit 12 or you get a leftover license for Unit 12, um, that also includes the northern area of 23 and 24, and there's a guide that we have down in those areas that can guide you, and he provides the horses, and if you happen to get an elk with them while you're being guided, they'll pack it out, and that's all included in the call. Great. Once again, Lisa Bennett is with us. It is Wild Skies and uh, flattopshunting.com. Her number, 970-926-0216. And... Um, what would you say, I mean, success, um, trust me, if all of our hunts we could all talk about, but, I mean, hunting is hunting. But, like say, you've got the largest elk herd there. 
Um, uh, can you give us any ratios, you know, over the last few years and, and realize, hey, sometimes it's drought times, everything's different. But uh, what would you say some of your success ratios have been? Well, it varies from season to season. Sure. Uh, we are 100% do-it-yourself. We are not high fence, so there's no guarantee. What we can guarantee is that you are in the heart of the largest elk herd in the world at 40,000 elk. Right. But our, our success varies. Um, depending on whether you're doing the over-the-counter archery unit or you're doing the draw unit, the draw unit is 12, and that has a little higher success rate for our hunters at about 28 to 30%. But if you're doing the over-the-counter, um, our hunters are averaging more around 18% okay. over-the-counter, which is higher overall than the entire unit per the Division of Wildlife. Per the Division of Wildlife, that unit there is, I think, averaging only about 12% average success rate, and our hunters are averaging a little bit more. We have access to a part of the over-the-counter unit that's more difficult to access from other parts. Uh, so when you're hunting and camping out in the over-the-counter unit, you tend to go to certain areas. When you're staying with us, we kind of send you in a different direction that helps us a little bit. Oh. Additionally, for rifle season, mm-hmm. uh, it personally, I think rifle four should be the most successful season for our hunters, and it's the least successful. Only averages maybe about a 10 to 15% success rate for rifle four, but I see more elk right around the cabin during rifle four than any other season because no one is camping there. We're the only lodging provider within a 15 to 40 mile radius of that location. Very few people want to camp during rifle four. So there's very little hunt pressure in our area. It seems to me it should be our most successful season, but it's not. Uh, We tend to see the most success during rifle one and that success rate is probably around 30, 35% for rifle one. And then for rifle two and three, you're looking at a 20 to 25 percent success rate. Right. Well, I promise you, like I say, you are in the heart of the elk right there uh, with Lisa. And um, now, let's I want a couple of things I want to touch on. Um, let's let's hit the the weeks again that you've got available, and how many hunters for archery and for rifle. So I have all of archery week four, which is the 24th of September through the 1st of October. And I have spots for up to six additional hunters during the first week of archery, which would be September 1st through the 8th. Okay. Additionally, I have Wifel One joining one of my longest-standing customers who is very proficient in hunting in the area and a super nice guy. He's got a, a small group there, and I have spots for up to five additional hunters to join him. And as I mentioned, there are leftover bullock licenses still available. And those dates, are the hunt's going to start on the 10th, which is a Saturday. So you check in on the 9th, which is the night before. Right. And then that hunt continues through that Wednesday, and you check out on Thursday the 15th. And then I also have spots for up to six hunters during the second half of Rifle 2, which would be October 28th, checking in around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, checking out on November 2nd. All right. Good deal. Now, uh, let's take rifle. Um, let's go over the cost of that for somebody who wants to do the first rifle the cost season. 